You're listening to the Influencer Podcast, episode number 108. I am ecstatic to introduce to you today our special guest, Christine Owenell. Christine is an executive coach, teamwork facilitator, and coach to visionaries. Previously, she's coached C-suite execs at places like Slack, Grameen Bank, The Entourage, and Cloud9. These days, Christine is a partner at Evolution, a boutique coaching, consulting, and investment firm, as well as a mom to two adorable kids. In her wide range of professional and personal experiences, Christine realized that achieving success comes from truly knowing yourself, your intuition, your motivations, and your stories to better understand who you are and who you are not, as well as who you want to be and who you don't want to be. She uses this line of thinking to serve her clients who are visionaries in transition and or possess a high net worth in her wildly successful coaching business. In today's episode, find out how to listen to your intuition to find your alignment and ultimately master your relationship with your business in the best way possible. I can't wait to share her powerful insights with you, so let's get to it. Now, before we dive in, I want to give a shout out to Caro Guerrero this week, who is our reviewer of the week, and she says, incredibly motivating for anybody. I've been listening to this podcast now for about two months, and I binged it from start to finish. There are so many golden nuggets, so whether you are converting a passion to a side hustle like myself, or you're already established, there are incredible takeaways from this podcast. Julie is a fantastic interviewer and gets to the core of her guests, from wisdom to motivation, from failures to victories. This podcast shares the entire scope of entrepreneurship in today's market. Whether you're an influencer, brand, or entrepreneur, there's absolutely knowledge here that can be applied to any business in regards to growth, marketing, operations, and values. Can't wait to continue listening in real time every Wednesday. Thank you, Caro. I love what you said about how the podcast shares the entire scope of entrepreneurship in today's market. That is really one of my goals. And like you said, it doesn't matter if you're an influencer or a brand rep or a creative or a writer, you really can take so many different nuggets from the amazing guests that we have on and the knowledge that we share here to really see results and whatever it is that you want to achieve. I think a lot of times you hear that saying of, you know, take what you want and leave the rest. And I feel like that applies with this podcast, that no matter what area you're coming from, what walk of life, you can definitely find value here. So thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm glad that we connect on that level. Now, of course, I want to hear from you. If you have not shared with me your feedback, your thoughts, you got to do that by leaving a review in iTunes. I also want to make sure that you screenshot today's episode on your phone and tag me at Jill Solomon and our guest at Christine Owenell and hashtag the influencer podcast to let us know what are some of the biggest aha moments or feedback or even challenges that may come up for you during this episode. I can't wait to hear your thoughts. Welcome to the Influencer Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Solomon, a marketing strategist, brand building expert, speaker, and New York Times bestselling publicist. This is where I take you behind the scenes with today's top influencers, industry insiders, and entrepreneurs as they share step-by-step strategies to help you turn your online dreams into a purposeful and profitable business. Hi, Christine. Hi, Julie. I'm so excited to have you on today. I am thrilled to be here. It's going to be fun. And I feel like we've, I mean, we actually finally got to meet in person a couple of weeks ago, but I feel like I know I've known you for so long because Tanya, who is my dear friend and the COO of my company, you and her have known each other forever, just like I've known her forever. I feel like. Yes. It's been, it's been a decade. Yeah. This year. Yeah. So strange to say. And so, yeah, so I'm just, I've always heard just 
so many amazing things about you and just how cool and unique your journey has been, which I'm excited to dive into today from Tanya. Um, but can't wait to hear it from you. So let's kind of start with, with, you know, who you are and, and, and kind of, you have such an interesting journey and, and kind of what your genius is and how that initially led you into kind of like the first chapter of your career and then how that's led you to where you are now. Mm -hmm. Yes. When you say what, when we talk about genius, this is actually something that I have identified very recently. The arc of my career, and even starting when I was a student, has been focused on a fascination with the human condition. And this started when I was 18 and living abroad for the first time, and then moved into my college career and having a foray in intelligence, and then working in mutually beneficial partnerships um, in, on the global stage. And now as an executive coach, it all comes into play in this sandbox that is, who are we as human beings and how can we transcend ourselves in ways that feel generative? Mm. So walk me through what that's looked like for you thus far. <laughs> Ooh, which component would you like me? <laughs> um, I would love to hear like how, like what, cause I, I know a little bit of the story. So, mm -hmm. so your background, like you kind of got started, you'd done some work in the Middle East, I will say. So yes. let's kind of go there to like what your first job or jobs were per se and why you were hired to do them and what you essentially did that you can share and yes. then what that then led to. Yes. Okay. So when I was in college, I had a research practicum that introduced me to the world of intelligence. And specifically, I was working in the field of hostage negotiation and body language analysis. And what we were doing was creating an objective rubric that agents in the field could use to determine based on sentence structure and word choice what the psychological state of a perpetrator was. And then that could help them make an informed and educated decision on how to handle the situation, basically whether to storm the place or to try and negotiate this person out of the hostage, hostage situation. So working with that and in that led me to then analyzing fatwas, um, analyzing how people were using emotion and diction and ideas to sway entire populations and how not only they thought, but to influence their behavior. I just thought that was unbelievable. That and is then that, so like, oh, no big yeah. deal. Just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I was studying how other people did that. And, and, and especially when you look at something on the socioeconomic and political spheres, it really comes down to this component of where do we feel a shared humanity with someone else? And am I trusting this person to influence me? Um, and how does that look and how does that manifest? And it can look a lot of different ways, but I think the, the elemental string to kind of like pull through and thread out is, is influence and the power of it to affect behavior and ways of thinking, which especially from a societal perspective, like you start to really shift the course of 
history, we could even say, <laughs> if we want to be really dramatic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you totally can. And so where yeah. did your, and I kind of want to get to kind of like what you did that and then, and then kind of what happened next. But first I want to know where did your, where did your passion come? I mean, were you just like, Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to college and graduate and, and you know, hostage negotiation and then just go get a job. Like, How does that work? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, no, I did not anticipate being in the intelligence world when I went to college. However, what I did bring with me into college was an acknowledgement that I loved foreign culture. I loved learning other languages. I loved being in situations where I was kind of the odd one out or the fish out of water. And then having to move through that situation and rectify, you know, rectify my solidity and rectify my groundedness and find where those commonalities were between me and others to like create a sense of community. So I had lived in Montreal the summer before college and didn't know anyone. And it was the first time I had ever been exposed to foreign, foreign anything, really. <laughs> I mean, I grew up in the South and I think I'd been out of the country once, but it wasn't even really out of the country because it was Puerto Rico. So, you know, to be at a dinner table where there was being French, you know, French was being spoken at the same time as German. And then some Italian guy who also spoke French and German would like teach me something about Italian. And, and like, it was just like this amazing situation where it was the negotiation of cultures that I brought in. So I don't know if, if it's this kind of this idea of looking like, who am I as I move through a situation and identify the rightness of it or my rightness and not, not rightness as an opposite of wrong, but rightness as in right relationship with mm -hmm. myself. Um, and then when I went to college, I guess I was, I was making little subtle decisions that were probably subconscious that led me into the situation where I was offered the research practicum with the professor that then eventually taught me about hostage negotiation and counterintelligence and counterterrorism, which then led me to want to move to the Middle East to learn Arabic naturally. <laughs> and then, and then I applied for something called the Clinton scholarship and they chose 10 people to come live in the Middle East and, and study global interdependence and the implications of it. Wow. And then are you fluent in Arabic? I, I was not ever fluent, although I gave a presentation in Arabic in front of a classroom, Ooh, that <laughs> which I was proud of. Yes. And my listening comprehension got pretty good. So I could understand, mm. depending on the dialect, because there's so many dialects, it's almost like they're different languages. But depending on the dialect, I could pretty much ascertain what was going on around me, even if all of what was going on was in Arabic. And the dialects, could you also tell where the person was from? Based yes. On the yeah, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. Like, like if you're... Southern accents, Northern accents. Exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. really neat. Just um, pronunciations and colloquialisms. Yes. Okay, so you, yeah, you had a pretty intense chapter there through this. What did you learn from that in terms of like what you wanted for your life, what you wanted for your career path? And then how did that pivot a little bit? Oh, yes. I love your questions, Julie. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> Beautiful question. So what did I learn? What I learned from my foray in the Middle East and almost going into the intelligence world is 
when I thought about how I was going to be spending the minutes of my life, not through the frame of which I totally looked through this frame initially, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be James Bond. I'm going to be Jason Bourne. Like, this is going to be, I'm going to be a badass. You know what I mean? That, that is not the reality. That is the perception. So I experimented a lot with this whole idea of perception versus reality and found that the reality of a life and intelligence is very different from that kind of Hollywood interpretation of it. It's, it's more about pretending, <laughs> at least the, the part of intelligence I was thinking about going into, it's, it's pretending to be someone that you're not um, mm. for a lot of the time. And, and I started to have these really deep, you know, existential questions that I was asking myself, like, if I'm spending a life pretending to be someone that I'm not, at what point do I lose who I am? Oh, that's good. Let's just take, let's take a beat on that one. Cause that one, okay. <laughs> say that, say that one more time. If I spend a lifetime pretending to be someone that I'm not, at what point do I lose who I really am? Mm. Yeah. And it was a big one, you know, cause I, I, I like who I am. I liked who I am then. And, uh, it, it hurt my heart and my soul to think of not being able to exercise that and not being able to live out loud um, in a lot of the ways that I am naturally inclined to. So once you got to that revelation, um, how how did you make that that choice, that 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 steadfast definitive choice to be like, okay, I'm leaving this and and I'm gonna step into something else? Mm-hmm. Yes. It it was a hard one because it, it, I had been geared, gearing towards this for like three or four years. And it had kind of become a little bit of my self-identity, um, you know, just kind of, it's, and it was kind of secretive. You know, I couldn't tell very many people, if anyone, that this was kind of the track that I was on. Um, so I made the decision in that moment because I valued myself more than I valued a job title or anything that would come from that. And basically just like cold turkeyed it, you know, just came back to the U.S. and, and applied for a post-grad program in business strategy and logistics and went from there. <laughs> um, and then I know that you started, ended up, you ended up working for a, a billionaire essentially. Um, yeah. And can you share a little bit about, about what that was um, and kind of how you used your your kind of your experience up to that point to, to really step into this new role? Yes. So the, the fact, what I mentioned earlier is how I was considering how I was spending the minutes of my life to make that big decision. And I, that fascination continued. I took a job in Southern California that was not my ideal job. However, I loved living in Southern California. And because I was not necessarily as mentally engaged in my job, I knew that it wasn't going to be a, you know, a, a lifetime thing for me. I had a lot of time to consider, okay, if this was the job description and this isn't necessarily my experience of it. So here's yet another instance of proof that perception is not reality. And I became obsessed with defining how I wanted to spend my minutes. I'm like, okay, if I want to create this life for myself, I need to know not like a lofty description of 
something that I want or even like a title or a job title, uh, anything like that. I need to be specific. So I decided that the things that most turned me on in my life were when I was learning new languages, when I was traveling the world and negotiating with cultures, when I was meeting interesting people, and when I was talking about ideas that I felt like could change the world. So those became my kind of my check, my, my tick boxes, as my, as my Australian husband would say. My tick boxes became those four qualities. And everywhere I went, I would ask someone, does a job exist? Have you ever heard of a situation in life that someone could get paid to do A, B, C, and D? And everyone was like, uh, no, <laughs> that does not exist. You are crazy if you think that that is a reality. But I was just, there was some part of me that was determined. So there was one night at dinner uh, with mutual friends in LA where I went on my thing again. Like, does anyone know if I explained my theory and explained my bullet points? And there was a guy at the end of the table who was a friend of a friend um, who was listening to me. And I remember seeing that he was watching me. And I'm also known for my stories. So someone at the table was like, Christine, tell the one about in the Middle East when you got arrested for the bullet and da, 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 da. And it's a good story. So I started telling my story and this guy was really keyed in on me and we ended up exchanging information and we would meet for lunch or breakfast every time he came to town. I didn't really know much about him, um, but I knew that he had an interesting job and we would always talk about these really cool things that were going on. Um, And he would give me, he would ask me these hypothetical questions that really got into my intellectual part of myself. And so I loved him. I was thriving on them. And, um, and it turned out he was kind of covertly interviewing me for about eight months through this method of coming to have lunch with me and asking me these off the wall questions and then seeing how I handled them. And it turned out that he called me, I guess it was about nine months after I met him. And he said, Hey, what are you doing right now? And I said, I'm taking a client to lunch. And he said, okay, I need you to go back to your office and quit your job because you're meeting me in Barcelona in two weeks or whatever it was. And I said, I'm sorry, what? Wow. <laughs> sorry, what did you just say? Wow. And he said, I don't have time to talk now, but you're going to come work for Enrique. And I said, who's Enrique? And he said, he's my boss. You're just going to have to trust me. Send me a flight that you choose to Barcelona on this date. And I said, wait, wait, wait. What's the, what's the job description? What's the salary? What's the, you know, what are the duties? And he's like, Christine, you're just going to have to trust me. We'll figure it out later. I'll see you in Barcelona. (laughs) So of course to any outsider, it's like, okay, this sounds like the mafia. You know, this sounds like I'm going to get on a plane to Barcelona and never come back. But I thought, you know, if I'm going to royally face plant at some point in my life, I might as well do it early. So I'm just going to go with my intuition on this. And go. And I did. And the whole situation was legit. And I became senior vice president of international development for this Spanish billionaire and spent the next three or four years traveling the world, learning languages, meeting interesting people and talking about life-changing ideas. And then how old were you at the time? When I accepted the job, I was 
25. Oh my gosh. Senior VP at 25. That's crazy. Yeah, um, it was wild. So there was probably a lot of a, a lot of a journey and a lot of experience and a lot of that throughout there. When did you decide to to shift kind of out of that role and and come back to the states and kind of plant your roots? And what did that look like? Oh, yes. So I did live on a plane for the longest time. I felt like I didn't have a home. I was constantly in motion. And um, yet another, ooh, this is a really interesting thread about perception versus reality. So yet another example of this that I've actually never realized before is I had this insane life. You know, in that world, um, everything's big. Everything's overt. Uh, You know, flying business class around the world. It's staying in five-star hotels and, you know, meeting people that, that are highly influential in our society. And um, from the outside perspective, I was living the dream. And I was in a lot of ways. However, I was lonely. I was really, I wanted community more than anything. And it was the one thing that I didn't have because I was always the one that was gone. You know, even my friends that are, that are like my really good friends, they never even knew when I was in town. So even when I was in town, I wasn't getting invited to stuff or engaged to even go grab dinner. Um, and it was a really lonely time in my life. So it was after an understanding that what I was craving was stillness, that I had the strength to say, as amazing as this life is, and as many of my boxes this has checked off, I need to prioritize doing my own inner exploration and reconciling with myself in a lot of ways that have been put on the back burner in this high impact global lifestyle. And, um, and it was in that moment, again, kind of cold Turkey, just kind of decided to bow out and, uh, and start my own company, which I had no idea what I was doing or no idea what, what it really was, but I, but I had to, you know, quote unquote, do something as I explored my stillness. <laughs> and, and I was in Nashville and I had just gotten married and it all just kind of fell together really nicely. And so with kind of all of this coupled together, I would love to kind of dive into what your perspectives are on a few things that I know that a lot of our listeners um, kind of struggle through. So the first one is the just the idea of influence and how to cultivate it and how to grow it. What is, what is your take on that? Uh, influence and cultivating it and growing in it. So true influence to me is almost an inexplicable magnetism. And it's almost a magnetism that comes from someone who is so solidly in their own knowingness and their own brand of genius and their own power that it's not even like they're trying to quote unquote create content because it's like as they speak they're creating content as they move through the world they're creating their content and their followers and their fans and their viewers that's what they're responding to it's almost for me a, a more subtle energy of this of someone's truth and and as human beings we 
crave truth, our own, but also seeing our own truth in the truth of others. So someone who's influential for me is someone who is fully living out loud in who they are and not just who they are in, in the shiny, in the shiny Instagram influencer perfection way, but you know, what's really going on in their lives and, and having the guts and the courage to reveal that, that's to me what creates that, that magnetism of influence. And then when someone says like, I can't seem to do that, you know, no matter what I do, I can't, I can't seem to, um, to, 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 to get over this feeling of plateau or this feeling of stagnation or this feeling of X, Y, and Z, what would be your thoughts for them? For me, when I am in that place, I'm, I'm too much in my head. So the fastest way that I get out of my head is to write with my, not necessarily on a laptop, with my pen and a piece of paper. There's something, there's an alchemy that happens when you're writing with a pen on a piece of paper that for me doesn't happen the same when I'm typing. And when it's coming to this notion of feeling blocked with creating content, I would just say, ask yourself and get a pen and ask, what is true for me today? What is true? What is true? What is true? And just drill down into that and then allow that to be your content, however it looks. And what if that truth is fear? you know, fear of not being enough, fear of being powerless, fear of not being truly seen and heard and loved for who you are. Even better. If that truth is the fear of those things, then talk about it because there are the majority of us, I would say 99% of the human population struggles with those exact same things. And that goes back to like being someone who's influential. If I'm reading someone who I am following and therefore am inviting into my circle of influence. That's what we're doing when we're following people, you know? If that person is suddenly having a day where they're choosing to talk about that, yes. You know, it's, that, it's providing that me too moment, moment. It's like, yes, me too, thank you. Like now I don't feel so alone and I feel even more connected to you, influencer, as a result. Mm, yeah, that's amazing. Um, and then I want to talk a little bit about vulnerability and courage, because I feel like in order to have, like, in order to have influence, like they are not like they, they are kind of one and the same, like in order to have influence, you must have courage and you must be vulnerable. Um, I feel like a, a lot of times with at least the, the influencers in the online space who, who listen to this podcast and whom, whom I tend to surround myself with is that, um, they're so, they're so focused on trying to control the outcome or trying to control the results that because of that, the control supersedes the courage and the vulnerability. My question for you on that is, do, do you agree with that statement that in order to have influence, one must be courageous and one must be vulnerable? And if so, how do you, how do you learn how to take control out of influence? Ooh, this is a juicy one. Yes, I wholeheartedly believe that courage and vulnerability are primary pieces of that equation. The, the taking out of control, I was just talking to a client today about this. 
This is something that I am endlessly fascinated by. I think that our desire to control comes out of a a place that's not bad. So it's not about making things right or wrong, good or bad. It's simply this acknowledgement that control provides us or perceived control, I should edit that, perceived control or actual control provides us stability or what we perceive as stability. And when you look at something like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, stability is right there in those fundamental things that we need to function on a basic level. So if we don't have stability, either either in how we believe ourselves to be in the world or how we perceive the world to be or how we can control who we are and why we are, we're perceiving that as stability. But the problem with that is I think that we're moving into a place individually and as a society where we're recognizing that it is impossible to control things outside of ourselves and to continue to try and control a result, which is something that's usually outside of myself, especially as, a, as an influencer where you're pushing out content to you know, you know, hundreds of thousands of people online, uh, that it's just never going to happen. You're never going to be able to control the, the result actually. So trying to do so is going to drive you crazy. <laughs> What's Einstein's definition of insanity? Doing something the same over and over and over again and expecting a different result. Yeah. The result is never going to be actual control. So it's in, I feel like that's almost the first step. It's just like, let's just acknowledge that it's impossible to control an outcome. And then the second step is getting really comfortable with and almost celebrating the unknown that happens when we relinquish control. It's in the unknown where the magic is. It's in pushing our edges of of what we perceive to maybe be true. That's where the miracles happen. So miracles to me cannot happen in the same sandbox as control because we already know what's gonna happen if we're controlling it. Life is meant to be lived, in my opinion, as almost this, never-ending flow of miraculous occurrences. And that happens when you are allowing yourself to be carried and in the moment and present and not trying to dictate um, or negotiate for a result that you think you want. When really, what if the result that you think you want is already here and you are simply being asked to be in it, be in it. And <laughs> does that make sense? I'm, I'm over here doing all these gestures with my hands. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that doesn't make sense no, verbally. <laughs> I think it, I think it totally does. And, and it's also, it's also for me, what was coming up was that by, by trying to control a result or an outcome, you're actually stealing from the one thing that you need the most in that situation, which is really the dignity of the outcome to present itself. Oh, yes. Maybe. <laughs> Love that. The dignity. That's a, that's a really interesting word choice. Mm. Dignity to me is is a whole world of its own. And yes, I agree with you. And when it's kind of like when you can try to control other people, right? It's like you're 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 stealing from them their own dignity in figuring their own stuff out and like and following their own guidance path. 
Um, yes. And I think that that could also, it's not, it doesn't also have, it doesn't always have to be controlling other people. It could also be controlling outcomes, thoughts, ideas, results, things, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. Yeah. And even holding up the mirror in that situation, mm-hmm. if someone's really having trouble relinquishing control, holding up the mirror and, and asking, how does it feel when someone, when I know someone's trying to control me? Mm-hmm. You know, how does it feel when I know that I'm part of someone's equation and they're trying to control how I play into this? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's a natural human tendency to want to like rebel against that. Mm-hmm. We, that's not necessarily what feels good. So then like reverse that and think about the, the follower population that you're putting into this control-based, you know, prescription and wonder, maybe if it's even subtle, like sometimes we aren't even aware of, of the little micro decisions that result in us either following someone or not following someone or liking someone's content or not. Um, but I think you're right. It does come back to dignity. If the assumption of dignity is there from the person who is in the spotlight, the assumption of dignity of the people that are witnessing them that is just going to inherently feel so much better to me as a follower, even if I can't put my finger on why I feel good around this person's content. I think that that's, I think that you're spot on, that dignity is there. Oh, I love that. That's so good. And, Mm. and like perhaps influence is just the opposite of control. Ooh, ooh, I just got chill bumps. And when I get chill bumps, that means some divine truth was just spoken. Just saying. Just it, it could be, it could, it could possibly be just the opposite of control because that's what I see so many people that listen to this podcast day in and day out. They, they literally, they, they they beat their heads against the wall. They stress, they get so consumed and not being able to control the outcome that it's like, well, what if your influence was just the opposite of all of that stuff that you're trying to do? Wow. I just got chills again. I think that's a big one. Let's just take a beat to use your words. <laughs> Let's just take a beat. So with all of this goodness said, and I know that you've mentioned it a couple of times now, you're like, you know, I just got off the phone with a client or I just said this to a client. How do you take all of this magic that, that you've cultivated and that you, your brilliance, and um, how, do you, how do you work now? Who are these clients? What do you do? How, how do you manifest um, in the world? Mm, Yes. This has been such a journey for me and something that I'm allowing to continually be a journey. And it ties into a lot of what we've been saying. When I, so when I first started this company, this consulting advisory coaching company, I was 28, (laughs) 27, 28, something like that. And I had this whole complex about who the hell do I think I am to presume that someone who's might be 20 or 30 years my senior would hire me to tell them what to do. Like I am delusional. (laughs) This was my, (laughs) this is a story I told myself. So I was stuck for months and months and months. And it was only after acknowledging that someone's not hiring me because they perceive that I am going to tell them what to do. I'm not that person. I am someone who can cultivate a space for someone to access 
their own inherent wisdom and then create an action plan and a strategy around that that feels generative. So then it became, it, it took all the focus off of why am I worth hiring and put it onto this more magnanimous space of how can I be for someone in a way that creates their own inspiration and that, and that allows them to see that who they already are is what they seek. Mm-hmm. And then as a coach, I serve as their mirror to affirm that and to, to repeat back to them what they're saying. Because so often, especially when I work with C-level execs, so often it really is true what they say about it's lonely at the top. You don't really have anyone that's your true mirror. It's, it's kind of like an echo chamber up there because everybody's livelihood depends on whether or not you approve of them for the most part, for the most part. So I have clients that will say something, they'll say their problem, whatever it is that they're facing, their, their block, whatever it is. And throughout the course of the session, they will, will access that, that truth. It's just like that chill bump truth. And I will repeat it back to them and they'll say, that's brilliant. That's exactly it. And I'll say, I just repeated you verbatim. And they'll say, what? <laughs> that came out of my mouth. So it's, it's interesting to say that so much of what I do is almost creating sacred space for someone to hear themselves. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. Because it's yeah. it's really, it's that space a lot of times that we don't give ourselves that space to really feel, right? Because we're too busy doing, controlling <laughs> X, Y, and Z. Yes, X, Y, and Z, A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. Um, so Christine, before we wrap up today, I would love for you to share a little bit about how someone could essentially work with you and and, and what does that look like? Yes. So I have two lines of work. One is the more corporate executive line of work where we use business as the lens to reflect on what's really going on and then creating change internally that then is reflected in the way the business is run. This looks like one-on-one coaching. This looks like executive retreats. This looks like leadership trainings uh, and sometimes even coaching individual people within a company that that are, that have some kind of influence. Um, that's one line of work. And I do that work through a firm called evolution on the West coast. And then I have another side of my work that is more one-on-one and more working with, with people who are in transition. I work with people who are highly visible because there's a certain approach that is subtle but is necessary to really getting honest about self-awareness and way of being and the kinds of asks and energy hooks that go into someone from the perspective of the viewership so, so it's influencers. And then I also work with people who are high net worth, who almost feel as paralyzed by the abundance of decisions that they could possibly make or abundance of resources as someone with little to no resources. I know it sounds crazy, but that's, that's a reality. 
And if someone is interested in working with me, they can go to my website, which is onl.com and fill out a client application. And I really look for an element of, I want to use the word sacred because I think that coaching in the way that I coach, it's a very sacred relationship and we must choose each other. Um, I'm picky about who I work with. I cap at a small number of clients at a time because I give all of myself to my clients 24 seven, um, even if it's just mentally. So, uh, I, I just, I love what I do so much. I feel like it's my ideal soul expression in the world. And when I meet someone who is my ideal client, who gets what I do in kind of an unspoken way, um, that's when I know that we're meant to work together. Mm. I love that. Um, Christine, I know that you just gave the website, so thank you for that. Where else can people find you on social media or other places if there are? Oh, yes. So I, I'm <laughs> funny. Funnily enough, I have not been very active on social media lately. However, all of my social handles are just my name, Christine ONL. Um, so that's with Facebook, that's with Instagram. That's on Twitter. I'm Coach ONL and LinkedIn, Christine ONL. All the same. Awesome. Well, Christine, thank you so much um, for coming on today and just sharing your amazing journey and your perspective of influence um, and what that means to you and, and how that looks in the world. Um, I'm so excited um, for everyone to dive into this and, and share their feedback with us. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Julie. Wanting even more influencer podcast goodness and to connect with like-minded influencers? Join our Facebook community for daily tips on how to up-level your business and chat with myself and other listeners. All you got to do is visit facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the influencer podcast to be a part of this wonderful community. Are you ready to create your own industry leading influence for show notes, downloads, and action-based tips, head to www.theinfluencerpodcast.com where you can find out more about this week's episode guest and our host, Julie Solomon. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please take a minute to go to iTunes and leave a review so we can help other influencers like yourself build their own successful business.